I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hi, Eve. Hi, Kieran. How's it going? It's going. It's, I guess, like everywhere except the Bay Area is dying of heat. And it's been like chilly in Oakland for the last I mean, week. And I'm like, I'm I'm glad, but I'm also like, I could use a little tiny bit of the heat. It would be nice. Well, um, your odds are good because I think we just broke the 7th or 8th seal with the ocean being on fire last night. Oh, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, y- you're going to get your own personal apocalypse coming soon. Oh, I know. It's already it's already scheduled for the 4th of July. There have been fireworks every single night since June 14th. And I'm just like, the state is kindling. Please stop. (laughs) I I am such an outlier. I know everyone hates fireworks. And I know that like where you are, it's not safe to have them. But I fucking love them. They're pretty to watch. If only it didn't like make me panic that there's going to be a wildfire right right if, it, if there's absolutely <laughs> no concern about like starting a wildfire it's yeah i love blowing things up that's all um <laughs> yeah i we'll see what, how it's like what it's like i don't think blanche has experienced real fireworks before and we're in dc this time and oh. it will be interesting to find out how that poor baby her. well maybe she'll be fine thunderstorms don't bother her Oh, well, yeah, she's probably going to be okay. Uh, she's just a well-adjusted weird, sparkly puppy. thunder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How have you been? You have a lot of exciting <clears throat> stuff happening. Oh, right. Um, I don't know when it's coming out, but um, probably around the time this is going live, there should be a piece, um, a reported piece in Teen Vogue by me and Nyla Burton about the state of homeschooling and how homeschooling parents are the greatest – Greatest danger to their children. Uh, I don't know what the title is going to be, but that was kind of the working title. I'm so excited about it. Um, and then I had a piece in Liz Lenz's newsletter about the way children are portrayed in Mayor of Easttown. And then a an interview with Ashley C. Ford for the Rumpus talking about her memoir, Somebody's Daughter, which came out last month. And um, and how a lot of what she did with that was centered around taking kids' experiences seriously. So those are all exciting things, but that's not really what you're talking about, is it? No, no, that was not <laughs> what I was getting at. I mean, those are all great and cool, but uh... okay, fine. Um, so I have had the weirdest month where I keep getting rejected for job after job after job that I think like would be super easy for me to get, and I don't know what's going on. And then on the other hand, I landed my dream agent. Yeah. That's amazing. So That's um, so great. For those who don't know the book publishing industry, what this means is um, now I have basically a business manager for my writing career. So um, Anna Sproul-Latimer, co-founder of Neon Literary, um, is my representative. And what she will do with me is we will collaborate to create basically a business plan for my book to make it as marketable as possible. And then I will do revisions based on that plan. And then she will take 
the proposal, which will be kind of like, I mean, it's, it's essentially a you know, business proposal, like a pitch mm-hmm. to editors and they will bid on it and the highest bidder gets to publish it. And then I have, we'll have like a set timeline to finish writing it. And that's how it works for nonfiction like this. So I'm excited. It's going to be not a strict memoir anymore. It's going to be a collection of essays. Um, and we're taking it in a really interesting direction. And I can't wait to be able to share more. But I'm really I am excited. so excited. This yeah. is this is everything that you've been working for for so long. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really funny. My, my friend Gretchen and I met when we were both working in Barnes & Noble in 2013 and um, became like buddies and writing friends and all that. And we've been doing this process, working on the same book projects and trying to find representation for all of these years. And she landed hers in, I think, February. And nice. I just got mine. And it's like, okay. 2021 is the year. Yeah. Ooh. It's great. Yeah. Finally. It's I taking love long it. enough. But yeah, anyone who like thinks that like this means that it's coming out tomorrow should like calm their tits because <laughs> people are editors are acquiring books that are going to come out in 2024 right now. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the timeline we're looking at. Yeah. I mean, you have to have time to actually like write all of it. So, well, and, and then, then they have to like a lot of times. Yeah. Just publishing just moves so slowly. It's, it's all hurry up and wait. So yeah, uh, really exciting news. That's so cool. Yeah. So anyway, if anybody thinks this means that I'm a successful author, it means that no, I am someone that an agent thinks I could be a successful author and thinks that it's worth investing in because she could probably get some money out of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, woo! Yay. She's great. I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm so I'm so happy for you. It's Thank you. so good. It doesn't feel real. I'm like my agent, this, and I'm like, oh my god, oops. It's <laughs> like, did, did the words "my agent" just come out of my yeah. mouth? What? Yeah, they did. <laughs> Whoa, big deal, big big deal. Um, That's so good. Yeah. So, <laughs> I feel like I've been thinking about this this topic that we're doing today um, in conjunction with like the new direction that this book is gonna take. Um, and I'm like, there's like a really big essay in my head that's cooking mm-hmm. on this. Um, and I'm really excited that you were willing to talk to me about this because I feel like this conversation will allow me to like talk it through out loud and get me halfway to writing it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So what are we talking about? Free comrade, Brittany. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what have you been hearing? I, I mean, I, I kind of have been a little obsessed with this. So I feel like I've been watching it more than the average bear. Yeah, I've just uh, kind of spent this morning reading a bunch of articles. I read the New Yorker piece. I listened to. Okay, but before I like made you go listen to all of that and read all of that, like what yeah. had you heard? Just that like Britney Spears said something about her conservatorship and how bad it was. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I remember like vaguely stuff going down with 
Britney in like the early 2000s and in 2008, but I had other stuff happening in my life to pay attention to <laughs> the inner workings of uh, mm-hmm. pop music that I wasn't allowed to listen to. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there was a lot that we were not allowed to pay attention to. I have been preoccupied with her for a long time because my – so my first piece of pop culture exposure was watching MTV at my neighbor's house in Visalia. I was, like, hanging out with her, you know, like, eating Otter Pops in the living room and her grandpa was babysitting. He had MTV on. And mm-hmm. Goodbye Earl played. And that was the first music video I ever saw. And it was incredible and I was riveted. And then mm-hmm. like, I don't know if it was immediately next or like the same afternoon, but that the next thing I remember seeing was um, the Oops, I Did It Again video. And those were my two like first tastes of like outside pop world pop culture. Like mm-hmm. it had been like before that it had been like, somebody giving me the little mermaid when I was five and my parents allowing me to watch it once and then removing it. And then like watching Aladdin at the dentist's office. Like it was like mm-hmm. nothing, 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 nothing. And then right, right. <laughs> goodbye. <What Earl>. is <laughs> this? And, <laughs> and Brittany and her little school girl outfit. And so I remember having like these conversations with my neighbor and her, like knowing that I was probably judging her for listening to Brittany and like, her trying to make a case for like why Whitney was like a good role model and worth like listening to and like why my parents would probably approve of her. And one of the things Mm -hmm. that she talked about was the purity pledge. Interesting. (laughs) Because this was the friend who was like, you know, in like fourth grade and was like, my boyfriend at school, this and like, I'm not allowed to date. We court kind of was my response. Mm. And like, we had the whole conversation. And so she knew that's where I was coming from. And she was like, yeah, Brittany, like Brittany's like got a boyfriend, but she's like saving herself for marriage. And like your parents would like that. And so it was, it was kind of given to me as like, she's, she's towing this line mm-hmm. that her, her values are in the, the place my parents would approve of. <clears throat> right. Um, it was interesting. I thinking about that yesterday, I asked on Twitter, <laughs> let me like find this so I can like read some of it, what everybody's first exposure to her was from the XV world. Mm-hmm. And some of the answers were terrifying. Oh my God. Did you God. see this? No. Oh my God. So apparently this one person their dad showed them this like video game software for on a computer that turned the cursor into something that would leave bullet holes in an image. And you could pick any image. Oh. Oh. So anytime you clicked, no. yeah, and you know where this is going. Mm-hmm. And Brittany was the image that the dad pulled up. Okay. So see some people are talking about, um, how she used to be wholesome when she was on Disney and that she sold her soul for money. And it was so sad to see her fall. Others people saying, you know, 2007 when she shaved her head was their first 
Hearing a guy tell his little sister that Hit Me Baby One More Time was about sex. Another, the album cover of, of her second album where she was wearing a midriff bearing outfit back in those days of modesty teachings. I believe that this meant she was a very sexual and ungodly person. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can't have that belly button. Uh, people talking about how she lied about her purity pledge and we should be listening to Point of Grace instead. You. Ew. <laughs> No. Uh, sneaking her cassette tape in and listening to it at the lowest volume possible once my parents went to bed. Been there, done that, but with the radio. Yep. <laughs> yep. Trying to defend her to my family when she was 17 and I was 12. Playing off the Rolling Stones cover, saying it was shorts, not underwear. Uh, laughing at Leave Britney Alone. People saying that she was asking for it because her first single was so sexual. Okay, so this is the one I was thinking of. My first memory of Britney was my dad using a photo of her to show me a program he downloaded that modified the cursor on your computer to make a gunshot sound and leave a digital bullet hole on the screen display wherever you click the mouse. I was five and upset. Still am. And then somebody responded oh saying, God. dude, there was this that game where you're supposed to throw her breast implants at her. I was no older than eight. I thought it was a water balloon and didn't understand why she had a black eye. People were absolutely vile with her, to her. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm still in shock. People have treated her like shit forever. Mm hmm. Yeah. She was like the scapegoat of the pop industry, I guess. There's a whole other one about um, a Brio article about how she's like a better role model than Christina Aguilera. Interesting. Mm hmm. So I thought that was really interesting. Just like everyone's. She has always been up for contentious discussion based on her sexuality and whether or not she is a good person mm -hmm. from the earliest memories of all of us. Yep. Yeah. Like that was like growing up, that was all that like I knew of Brittany was that like she was slutty basically. Like that was, <laughs> that was, that was the implication my parents gave, <clears throat> which is hilarious, but. I'm like, the impression I get is that she wasn't at all. Right. Like, I, actually, I don't think she was. No. So, like, okay, so some things that, like, I think are important to know about Brittany to understand why we're talking about her and, like, why the Purity Pledge, like, makes sense for her. So she's from Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Like, her parents were, you know, poor working class, Christian, um, you know, just good old Southern folk. And her father was an alcoholic. And like there was, they would like borrow money from friends to get Brittany to auditions. The father's alcoholism was such a problem that one time the mom, Lynn Spears, who's like really not a confrontational person, took a shotgun to his, his like cooler the detail in the um, New, Yorker piece. New Yorker piece that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, she's coming from this like good Christian little girl mm -hmm. mindset. Um, and like her mom didn't divorce her dad until like what, 2004 or something. It's a long time. 
it took a long time and her and she'd like been urging her mom to do it for a long time and her mom had just been like you know putting up with shit for all the right reasons right reasons mm-hmm. you know all that time so like this is the kind of community she's coming from where it's like family is important you don't turn your back on them like even if they're pieces of shit like you're obligated to them so it's not quite the like patriarchy of gothard's like umbrella diagram right but it's also not that not not that yeah you know it's 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 this implicit like you know just i think her her desire to just want to have like a husband and babies and have a like a nice normal family is as much a like reflection of the values that she was raised with um as it is a reflection of her actual desires Mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah so I've always kind of seen her as like us adjacent and the thing that like everyone from our world all the quiverful escapees was saying when like the conservatorship um, you know ruling came down after her hearing um was like this is every quiverful dad's wet dream yeah yep yeah i mean who doesn't want to control every intimate aspect of your daughter's life including whether or not she has children or gets married like that was definitely what me but like i don't have a kid but like (laughs) why would you want that (laughs) like it's too much no one no one needs that that's ridiculous but it does really reflect the kind of stuff that our parents were trying to do and the purity culture that we were raised in. And I know we've talked about this ad nauseum and so we're going to be covering repeat territory, but like, you know, one of the Don't reasons. Don't worry, we're going to get into this deeper. <laughs> <laughs> one of the reasons like her purity pledge happened when it happened and was such a big deal was because it was at the height of the like true love weight silver ring thing movement. Mm-hmm. She was reflecting back to the culture, what mainstream culture had, was normalizing at that point. Yeah. Yep. And a lot of her, her, you know, desires have been just to be normal. And so I feel like that was just another one of those is like, you know, yeah, probably all of her peers were doing the purity pledges. And so she just, wanted to be like them too Mm -hmm. yeah especially when like your family totally controls who you are and are not allowed to see (laughs) or talk to or have any Mm -hmm. kind of like relationship with that's what struck me Mm -hmm. uh kind of the hardest i think reading the new yorker and listening to her statement was just that like her parents did the same thing that my parents did, which was mm-hmm. cut off anyone from access and talking who maybe has a problem with the way that you're raising your kids or you think like you don't want your kid to pick up. So yeah, it's, it's like, like the what, hairdresser, if, what if suddenly you don't have friends? Yeah. The hair, hairdresser was saying like any time a boyfriend got too close and started challenging how the family was treating her, they disappeared. Mm hmm. Where have I heard that before? Right. And that's like, that's the kind of level of control 
that I grew up with when it came mm-hmm. to like friendships where it was like, well, I wasn't really allowed to have friends I mean, if my parents I, knew their parents. Same. I mean, I like I had friends, but it was very heavily controlled and like at certain points there would be like rules about like, you can't be in your room with the door closed because we have to hear what you're doing. Mm-hmm. This is why we were in the woods all the time. Um, it's the only privacy we could get. And like they would do family to family get together. So we would have other big families over to hang out with them rather than having individual friendships. So mm-hmm. One to just like do it more efficiently, I guess, but also just like it would you know, prevent you from being able to have like concentrated one-on-one time with anyone. So you'd be, yep. you know, like, I can't remember how many times, like I'd be hanging out with a friend and like one of my little siblings would narc on me for what I was doing or saying or whatever too with, um, mm-hmm. it's just like, this is why I made online friends when I was 14. Yes. Okay, and then parents couldn't touch that. Well, my parents did. They had like the conditions for me having any social media account, an email. This was at the point when like the family had one email address, and like oh yeah, yeah. When my father got his own email address for his consulting job, it was like this whole thing, and like you know, my mom had to have access to it because she could like keep him accountable and like. You know, he was trying to make sure he was avoiding the appearance of evil with it. Of blah, course. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, it's private email accounts, you know. This is like the thinking that drives people to have like a married couple joint Facebook account. Yep. <laughs> yep. So I could have an email when we did ROC. This is the mm-hmm. online magazine we worked on together. I could have an email account. But my father had to have the password and had to have access oh, yeah. to it. And yep. so I, I think that's why I set up the chat logs not to save for that one until he, I got him out. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And then when I went to Grove City for college, he wanted access to my Facebook account. And that was a big fight. He wanted, And I was like, I'm 18. You can't do that. And so he was like okay, but you can have a Facebook account if I have one and I friend you and I friend all your friends. So anytime Mm -hmm. I friended someone on Facebook, my father would also friend them. And so like he was having all these like behind the scenes conversations with any boy (laughs) that was friends with him on Facebook, um, checking their intentions and oh, oh God, it was so uncomfortable. So like everything that, Brittany's dad is doing is like textbook the like meme of you know the prom picture with the dad with the gun mm-hmm. which is kind of what we were taught was normal yep yep yeah my parents also had to have access to my chat logs my email address like everything they needed to be able to see it and I got really familiar with not saving chat history and using Mm -hmm. incognito mode Mm -hmm. and setting up email addresses without them knowing, like, that took a lot of sneaky work. You got very good at it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's weird what 
isolation makes you very good at doing. Well, so here's the thing about the New Yorker story that really caught my eye. Brittany was like primed to be just like us in all this, all these ways and primed to be able to figure shit out and get out the way we were able to. Mm-hmm. But because she was able to make money for the family, they kept her too busy too. Yep. And like in that hearing, she's talking about like not realizing that she could ask for like days off work when she was like working seven days a week for the Vegas residency. Ten hours a day. Ten hours a day. Like what the? They are. That's not. You can't do that. And she that compares it to labor law. sex trafficking. Yeah. Um, she compares it to sex trafficking, which is complicated analogy, not quite accurate, but like you know, it, it's a labor violation. Yes. And, and it's on purpose to keep her exhausted yep. so that she can't have free time. And so that's the other thing is like keeping her busy so that she doesn't have the time to figure things out. Like mm-hmm. Paris Hilton had to teach her how to use Google. Right. I mean, she doesn't, all of the like internet in our phones and stuff that we take for granted, Brittany doesn't really have access to everything Mm-mm. is so heavily monitored like she can't just talk to people she can't just go online like she she was coming of age at a time when digital literacy was not quite a given and so she was able to be kept away from it so that she didn't get fluent in it in the ways that her peers did mm-hmm. by keeping her busy and so as soon as like she's able to have time to use it, she doesn't know how to. And I think that's part of why, you know, they've been able to restrict everything for her so hard that mm-hmm. she's not able to realize until last year that she could appeal the conservatorship. Yeah. Like that makes when sense. When you keep all information away from a person, like like she just there's she can't go to the library by herself. Like <laughs> she can't she sneak. Has no access. She can't sneak the porn in her book bag in between right. the, like, you know, sewing textbooks or whatever. Right. <laughs> like the rest of us did. Yeah. She because she's able to make money for her family. Because they can leech off of her. They've been able to restrict her so much more successfully than the rest of us were. I think that's really interesting. Like, if we'd been more productive, we might not have gotten out. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, It's scary. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, that was definitely my family's tactic. They were like, well, you know, since you're not married at age 17, uh, give all that up and spend your life running the house again and yeah i I mean they tried to keep us they tried to keep us busy enough that we wouldn't figure it out but i was up until five in the morning every night on the internet so well also they didn't realize that kids are extremely boring and you can multitask right exactly (laughs) exactly no offense to my siblings but like I remember my parents freaking out when i pass locked my laptop because they couldn't just get into it and read my emails and check my Facebook. And I was like, oh, I don't know. 
the Windows update happened and it, it made me do this. I couldn't change it. <laughs> I'll here, I'll log in for you. You won't remember the password. It's well, fine. that's the other thing is like our generation has that advantage of being able to be slightly more tech savvy than the generation above us and protect ourselves that way. And she doesn't. So mm-hmm. her parents are just as tech savvy as she is. And she hasn't been able to get around them, even though like reading the, you know, all these articles and it's like, there's ways to get around this. Mm-hmm. If you are just a little bit more in the know and a little bit more careful, like there's things that you could have done, but she mm-hmm. doesn't know how to do them because she's kept away from it. Yep. Um, so like she doesn't have that advantage of just being able to like bullshit her way out of things. Right. Like we could. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really gross how her family has like held her captive for 13 years. Yeah, it's, I mean, if you think about the stay-at-home daughter movement, I'm just like, she is that. Yep. Without the theological bullshit as, like, an excuse. Mm -hmm. It's exactly what everybody else wanted. They just, like, created elaborate logical reasons so that you would be trapped because you couldn't outreason them. Yep. And she's trapped because they're like, you're crazy, and anything she does proves them right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Which was also talked about in maybe the New Yorker piece or maybe another piece that I read, which is just like, it doesn't really, once you're in a conservatorship, it doesn't really matter what you do. It can be used as evidence to keep you in the conservatorship. And yeah. This is the New Yorker piece. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's how the law is written. If right you're now. like doing well under it, then it's proof that it is the thing that is keeping you stable. And if you're doing badly under it, it is proof that you need it mm-hmm. to like control you. My friend Gretchen, who some of y'all may know, Gretchen Schreiber, who is disabled and a writer and, you know, she and I talk about this stuff all the time. Um, you know, she's like, the thing with the Britney story is like, this is not a a case of the system not working or the system being broken. It is a Mm -hmm. case of the system working exactly the way it is supposed to work. Yep. Yep. It is, it is designed to exploit people. Yeah, it is. So when you listen to the hearing, what stood out to you? It was just so familiar her her feelings about like being trapped and how unfair and bad it is and how like this is wrong the whole thing is wrong actually because it is and i feel like i don't exist because you're not listening yeah yeah Yeah. feeling like you don't exist was like a huge thing because i remember also feeling that way when my parents were working me into the ground and mm-hmm. being like, this is your lot in life. This is what you must do because this is what we're telling you to do. And just feeling like I wasn't wanted and mm-hmm. I wasn't worth anything except for my ability to do stuff. Like when she talks about how she's given her body to 
like has been forced to use her body for her father. Mm -hmm. Like I felt that in my bones. It was like, yeah, yeah, like your body isn't yours because it has to be used for the betterment of the family and you don't get a choice in that. And it's so fucked up. Right. You have, you have no autonomy outside of what you can do for the family. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really, yeah, it's really interesting. All of the parallels, um, feeling like I don't exist outside of this. And like the, the belief that you can't bail on it because you're being a bad person because they are dependent on you. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's what keeps so many people in bad marriages and in bad jobs is like idea of like, I can't leave because things will fall apart without me. And it's never right. true. It's never true. You are not mm-hmm. responsible for saving anyone else. Yeah. But, you know, because her family's all dependent on her, you know, because they're living off her money. Um, I'm sure it's really easy for her to believe that, you know, she has to, she has to keep them going. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people stay in bad relationships for the same reasons. Like, Oh, they would, they would kill themselves if I left. Like that's not your problem. Yeah. That's not your problem. Yeah. Yeah. They, they can make their own decisions. Like I remember like right before I, ran away like that was what I was struggling with is like if I Mm -hmm. leave are my siblings going to be taken care of like are they going to be probably not educated and like I mean they've eaten but that's not your job you're not their parent exactly and and I had such such conflict with my next sister down when I left her college because like suddenly she had to like pick up all the slack that I left and she was pissed And I was like, look, I'm sorry that this is happening to you. And I'm sorry this sucks and you have no free time now. But also, like, it's not my fault. Like, I didn't create the system. It's not my fault. Be mad at the parents, honey. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not being selfish. But, of course, like, that's sinful, too, because then you're blaming your parents for (laughs) your attitude or whatever the fuck. Right. Well, and so that's, you know, there's there's layers of psychological control here. Ours were based on, you know, theology and obligation and hers seemed to be around obligation and also like being gaslit into believing that she's unwell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And also just like being forced to take lithium. Like, what the fuck? <sighs> other thing I just can't yeah I cannot so physically it really sucks because like she can't just run away like she can't there's like she can't just leave and hide somewhere because she's so well known and visible and Mm -hmm. people just like follow her around so it like it really sucks. I empath- empathize a lot with that. Like it's, yeah, she is trapped in a very, very real way. And California doesn't even have a law on the books that's going to ease the conservatorship, like requirements until twenty twenty four at the soonest. And even then, the most she can do is request a jury trial. Mm-hmm. Like, 
she has no rights. She has no rights. Yeah. Yep. No. And and that's another thing that I think is is a, an overlapping feature of what is happening with her is the the being told that you're not capable of surviving alone, being told that like mm-hmm. you can't trust your own instincts, your judgment is unsound, like you don't know what's actually best for you. Those were all things that I was told. Yep. Me too. And were used to gaslight me into submission. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, pretty fucking classic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty textbook on how you keep people home and dependent on you mm-hmm. is by saying like, oh, you couldn't make it out there mm-hmm. because you're to this or you're to that. And I know because I'm an adult and I've like been here out mm-hmm. here doing mm-hmm. stuff. But like in Brittany's case, her parents have just been profiting off of her labor and they have been working her. She's never had a chance to manage her own life. And that's, that's one of the things that like was really important for me, like, you know, kind of checking out from my family for a while and like trying to live on my own and being, you know, able to survive and take care of myself. Like that was really important to me because it was my way of proving them wrong. I had Mm -hmm. empirical evidence. Yeah. They were lying. She does not have that. Yeah. She knows that they're lying, but she does not have empirical evidence of that because she's never been in a position where she actually had like agency, agency and stability and people who were out for her her best interest for real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that when, uh, Britney Spears' dad dies, we also have to have a grave rave. (laughs) Oh my God the joy that I would feel. I just, I'm I'm so appalled. Like, even though her mom has divorced him, she had to like hide in a closet to take the phone call from either Gia or Ronan. Like Mm. what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing is like the mom being so scared of the dad, that the mom can't stand up for their child. Like that is so fucked up. That's also a quiverful problem. Yep. Yep. I know a lot of people whose moms, you know, weren't the abusive one, but who can't forgive them because they didn't protect their kids. Yeah. Yeah. Like you had one job and you failed. Mm-hmm. You fucked it up. Sorry your anxiety got in the way of your failure as a parent, but that's on you. It's like, I'm sorry, people go to great lengths at all the time to like stand up for their kids and protect their kids and like yep. all of that. And what's your problem? Yeah. Well, that that was like that bothered me a lot, too, because like even though it's it's her dad who's doing most of the exploitation, her mom is also her mom is complicit in enabling this. Oh, because yeah. Her she doesn't stick up is. for Brittany at all. Like it's it's Everybody, a mess. Everybody is financially profiting from keeping her down Mm -hmm. it's so bad yeah yeah the other thing that like stood out is the IUD which Mm. for obvious reasons just like you know the thought of being like 
forced to have a kid with someone who I didn't trust to be a good father gave me nightmares my entire marriage because we had, I mean, I've talked about this before in places, but like we had this compromise because he was, you know, I will say pro forced birth now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I was for choice and had, you know, done the research on the science of how birth control works and had concluded that no, actually we were lied to and it's not an abortifacient and like, it's fine. And so I was on the pill because I did not want to have kids because I wanted a break. And, but I have ADHD and I would forget sometimes. And if I forgot two days in a row, there's enough statistically enough of a chance of conception if it's the right time and you know all this stuff Mm -hmm. that like if that happened because we weren't using other protection I would be asked to wait until my period showed up and so I would have to stop taking birth control until that's so bad period came and it was confirmed that I was not pregnant and then I could start it again and so yeah (laughs) so the idea of being like trapped in a situation against your will where you have no like control, like not total control of your reproductive choices is a fucking nightmare to me. And she's trapped in it for different reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, she is not able to have the life she wants and she has no control over that. And yeah, uh, yeah, so that was also brought back a lot for me. Yeah, the other, like, thing that really glared at me was just, like, how they were using her children as, oh God, yeah. like, pawns and sticks and, like, would take her ability to see her kids away from her if she didn't, like, perform as mm. much as, like... Literally perform. Th- literally And that's just so cruel. And my parents also did that to me, but, like, to a lesser extent, obviously. But, like, they were like, until you shape up and agree with us again, you can't talk to your siblings. I mean, my parents wouldn't let me tell my siblings myself about my divorce because they wanted to frame it in a way that they thought was appropriate to their interpretation of what I was doing. Mm. And I was really worried that they weren't going to let me talk to my siblings ever again. And that was on the table for a while. They were considering it. <laughs> and yeah, I was really scared of that. And I, yeah. So, and I'm like, those are my kids. Like I raised those kids. Like you yeah. are keeping my babies from me. That's not fair. Yeah. And I know they're not my babies, but like, I'm sorry. I stood up for Everything them far more than birth. any of you did. Yeah. So yeah, really really triggering listening to her um there's just so much Mm -hmm. our society really hates women yeah yeah it's it's so bad it's so terrible and of course you know obviously i mean this goes without saying but it's worth saying again like none of this is unusual right this is exceptional this is the system working as intended yeah, this is just a case that is high profile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and it, and that's the other thing too. Like, 
Brittany had to go to these lengths and she like is a person who's recognized as like a famous person Mm -hmm. and has a bigger platform than most people who are in conservatorships right now going through the exact same stuff. Pretty much but on a any other scale. person, any other person in the situation. Yeah. 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 Like it's they, you know, all this resources and information and ability to like have agency for themselves is kept away. Mm-hmm. And it's a really fucked up system that we have. The new like law that may go into effect specifically for Los Angeles, San Diego, and San Francisco counties would not eliminate conservatorship, but would make it end after a year and have to be reapplied for. And Mm -hmm. it's mostly just like a task force to see like how to make conservatorships less awful, but there are a lot of people invested in making sure conservatorships stay exactly the same. So it sucks. I mean, people can make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there was like five different lawyer agencies at the hearing. <laughs> One of them is the agency that regularly defends cities who unlawfully deny affordable housing. Well, and she also can't choose her, she can't choose her representation and the lawyer that the family has employed on her behalf that they chose yep. earned more than her living expenses last year. Yep. Like her living expenses were like, what, three, four ninety thousand, four hundred and ninety thousand, and he earns like upwards of 500,000. Yep. And that's like to represent her at the end. Yep. Like, yep. oh my God. All of the people who are employed by uh, the Spears are, like, just rolling in it and are very invested in keeping her, like, trapped. So they mm-hmm. keep having money. Like, Well, and, and this is, again, another, you know, hallmark of this kind of behavior is the financial control. It's a really good way to keep women in abusive relationships and this is mm-hmm. part of what I was trying to talk about when I talked about the Dave Ramsey stuff for long reads like let's just yeah. keep you down and keep you unable to like be independent physically. if you are exhausted and all of your agency is removed and you have no access to information or even people who could tell you that what you're experiencing is wrong Mm -hmm. like that is how you keep people trapped and then just you know just the cherry on top keep them from accessing their money Mm -hmm. it's fucked up yep so this has been a dark episode sorry for stressing everyone out (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah but i i think it's really important because this wasn't something that i was following in 2008 or the early yachts when this was like all going down Mm -hmm. and now it's like holy shit that is just extremely bad and the fact that it has gone on for 13 years without any kind of like reevaluation or even like no one who is a neutral no one is a neutral third party in this right everyone has a vested monetary interest and mm-hmm. that is not how you conduct fair trials 
<laughs> no, I feel like there's there's some problems in that model. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of just like outright corruption that seems so obvious to me and yet somehow is not legal. Uh, again, the system is working the way it is designed to. Yep. Yeah. <sighs> Fine. Fun. Fun. Join us soon for a whole bunch of deep dives into purity culture because we're going to be talking also... about that more. Yeah. That, like that's a whole preview. other thing. Yeah. I, I went on a reading tangent because uh, the whole purity ring thing was a thing when she was like coming up and she had a purity ring and like the Jonas Brothers did and everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and like, you did and I did. and Yeah. Yeah, every literally everyone I knew had one, and apparently there were some weirdos who didn't. Stream, but yeah, yeah, not very many. Yeah, and like we didn't even get to touch that part. Yeah, we we'll 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 get into it. That's a different episode entirely. That's a series of episodes. It is a series of episodes. Get excited! Woo! So, if you have questions about purity culture, email us. Um, or if you have comments or things that you want us to make sure we cover when we do our series on purity culture. Yeah. Uh, you can reach us at kitchen table cult at gmail.com. Thank y'all for listening to us, uh, ramble on and joining us this time. Thank you so much to Dave the great for making us sound good every single week. And if you like the music on this podcast, that is due to the heavens. The song is Janet from their album Stenazzo. Thank you for letting us use your music. Uh, You can support the podcast and join the Slack by going to Patreon, which is patreon.com slash kitchen table cult pod. We have a good time. There's a lot of real good animal pictures and we, you know, bitch about brains being fragile soup and other things. It's great. You should join us. If you have any questions or comments that are nice or constructive, <laughs> uh, you, can, <laughs> you can email us at kitchentablecult at gmail.com or poke us on Twitter at kitchencultpod. Thanks for listening. As always, we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.